Hello everyone, Cecil Martin here. Hey, this is Hunter Henry. What's up, man? This is Max Crosby, part of Raider Nation. Hey, this is Ross Tucker, former NFL offensive lineman. Hey, it's Tyler Lockett of the Seattle Seahawks. Hey, this is Jerry Judah, wide receiver for the Denver Broncos, and you're listening to the 14-Yard NFL Podcast. And then there were two. We are down to the final two in the race for the Super Bowl. The two number one seeds progressing through the conference championship weekend. Uh, we'll get right into it, break the games down. We're very lucky at the full 10 yards network to have lots of the teams represented. And commiserations to the many Bengals fans we've got. They seem overly represented, the Bengals <laughs> and the Dolphins, it's got to be said. But commiserations to those boys. We've brought our Chiefs fan in for the evening. Liam, how are you doing, Paul? Yes, very good. Thanks, mate. I'm a bit tired after last night. I uh, decided to watch all the post-game content. So the game <laughs> finished at half three, and I don't think I finished watching like podcasts and videos till five. Uh, so yeah, very, very happy. Another Super Bowl should be a good game. Will it be the Andy Reid Bowl or the Kelsey Bowl? I'm not sure what we're going to call it yet, but one of the two, probably. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, a few storylines bubbling up for that one in a few weeks' time, certainly. Isn't there? Steve, the uh, the regular on the pod and the resident Eagles fan, um, it's looked looked good all season, mate, and obviously finally punched the ticket now to the uh, the big dance. So you must also be pretty chuffed with things today. Fly, Eagles, fly, baby. Um, yeah, it's one of those feelings where you know the whole year that everyone's tagged you tagged as as a really, really good team. And a lot of really good teams don't make it anyway. A lot of really good teams don't even make it in the playoffs. So it's good to see them punch it in when they when they sort of stuttered over the line at the end of the season. I thought it could be an easy loss, easy out of the playoffs, but they've they've looked excellent so far in the playoffs. And just good to be going back to the ball game. I don't think it's really sunk in yet. Um, second appearance in five years um, up against a really tough Chiefs team and Andy Reid as well. He's such a good offensive schemer and player caller. It's going to be such a good game. Um, but yeah, just pleased to be going back. Hasn't really sunk in. Um, and yeah, I think it's going to be going to be an absolute cracker. Yeah, let's hope so. Because we were just talking, myself and Liam, before we hit the record button, the, the playoffs have, have not really, as in previous years, probably overly delivered so far um, you know and this weekend was another example of that really and we'll, we'll start obviously chronologically with the Eagles game which for the neutral I've got to say ended up as a real shame to actually watch it was actually a really tough watch and I mean the league must obviously be pretty disappointed that it ended up the way that it did look all credit to the 49ers they absolutely took advantage of the situation Steve but obviously a very very strange and peculiar game you know the story leading into this one had been from the 49ers perspective the rise of Brock Purdy from Mr Irrelevant to you know the six or seven game winning streak looking good um, and the Niners, you know, obviously riding high on a, on a great winning streak. But the game really flipped early doors when he went out the game. And then it was just, it was essentially game over from that point, wasn't it, mate? Yeah, it was such a weird, weird game. Um, like no uh, championship game I've ever seen before. Um, when a quarterback goes down that early on and he's already your third string quarterback, you're in trouble. Um, you know, it, it, my first reaction was like, it surprises me that they haven't got given the, the problems that San Francisco have had in the quarterback position this this season and, and for the last few seasons, surprises me that they haven't got a better backup. But then you're like, well, hang on a second. That's their fourth string quarterback. They're not going to invest money in a fourth string, are they? And they probably never expected Josh Johnson to hit the field. But here he is in the first quarter having to take snaps. Um, you know, so yeah, it was <clears throat> for the for the neutral, it was an awful game to watch. Um you know, when McCaffrey hit that running touchdown, uh, which was a great rush, by the way, that's just McCaffrey being McCaffrey is a hell of a player. But after, when he hit that, you think, okay, well, maybe there might be something still alive. But after the next few drives, you just realize they just have nothing on offense. When you don't have anyone who can throw the ball, there's just nothing on offense. And it's just, you know, the defense knows what's coming. Um, you know, they can't throw the ball. So you, you protect the run and they just got nothing. Um, but I will, I will very quickly. Um, sort of switch to say that we can't. It's difficult, isn't it? Because it was a it was a nothing game for the 49ers, but also the Eagles played really well. So it's sort of difficult because you don't want to discredit the Eagles because it was still a good performance. But also you have to sort of you know asterisk that by saying yeah, but the Niners didn't have a quarterback 
Um, and that certainly factors into it. But let's not forget, this was the number one defence in the country coming into this game, um, especially against the run. They were first in all of the metrics against the run. And the Eagles ran with ease. They put 148 yards up. They scored 31 points. All four scores were rushing touchdowns, which has never happened to San Francisco so far this season. Um, there's no quarterback on the defence, so that you can't use that excuse when you're, when you're trying to defend. But... You know, the defense was gassed because they were on the field so much. And that started to tell towards the end when some of those silly penalties came in. The, the push on Jalen Hurts out of bounds towards the end, that was nasty. The Trent Williams body slam on uh, on Kayvon Wallace, that was nasty. Like, you could just tell the tempers were flaring and, you know, they could tell the game was over um, and they just come into the into town and not put up much of a fight. It's a shame, really. But, you know, you take, you take wins as you can take wins. And at the end of the day, this Eagles team... They, I saw a really sort of good summary of it uh, earlier. Is this eagle? It, two th- two things can both be true. One of those things is the Eagles have this season haven't really faced a contender up until yesterday, and even then, without without any of the quarterbacks, you could argue the Niners weren't a contender. But everyone they've they have faced this season, they have put to the sod. Both things can be true. Um, and they did it. They did it with ease. Hurts, his, his line didn't look all that great, but that's because it didn't need to be because they just rushed the, the ball with such efficacy. Um, and and Kenneth Gainwell being a breakout player in, the, in these playoffs, I didn't see that. I didn't have that in my bingo card. Um, but my, my, my parting thoughts before we pass it over has to be um, Hassan Reddick. Um, how the guy isn't up for defensive player of the year, I do not know. Um, you had him on one side, you had Nick Bosa on the other side, and Bosa was contained all game and was was largely ineffective, whereas Reddick made his presence felt in the first drive of the game when he gets to Brock Purdy. And I'm sorry, but that's what happens when you leave a tight end on one of the best passers in the league. You know, um, all of a sudden, Kyle Shanahan's up in arms because Hassan Reddick hit, hit Brock Purdy. It's like, well, maybe if you don't leave a tight end to block the guy, then that might not happen. So I also want to you know, put a pin in the narrative that the, you know, the the refs or the or the Niners didn't have a quarterback. They didn't have a quarterback because the Eagles took them out of the game. Now I'm not I'm not trying to um, say that I'm uh, endorsing injuries or anything, but they were out of the game because the Eagles' pass rush was so good, and it was so good because Hassan Reddick is a monster. So, yeah, really really good win. I, I said it would come down the pass rush. I said I was hopeful they would get there, and it only took them about four minutes before Hassan Reddick had Purdy <laughs> on the floor. So. Yeah, really, really pleased with that. Really good win. Yeah, they've, they've really strengthened and built that defensive line, haven't they? Like you say, the fact that you have players like Sue and Joseph coming in late in the season just to add depth just, just shows you the sort of embarrassments and riches that there is in that position. And like you say, they were a handful all throughout the game. Liam, let's, let's flip it over um, to get your take on the game. Um, like I said, it is a difficult one because, like you say, you don't want to take credit away from the Eagles, but there just has to be this massive asterisk hanging over the entire game. It's like you... You don't want to take anything away from the defensively, but I mean, at one stage, even down 21 points, San Francisco were just handing the ball off because literally, you know, we're not just saying this to, you know, sort of make it sound worse than it was. They literally had nobody to throw the football. Um, it was really, really strange game to watch. Um, you know, it's summed up, I think, in the play-by-play drive when you see fourth and three, Debo Samuel rushes for minus seven yards and fumbles the ball. That tells you all that you need to know, doesn't it? So it is a really strange one to to really get a handle on. Was this just a really good Philly performance that, you know, regardless of the situation at quarterback with the Niners, the result would have still been the same? I suppose ultimately we'll never know the answer to that question. But yeah, what, what was your take on it, mate, watching it? Yeah, I picked the um, I picked the Eagles to win. I was in part of the um, full ten yards betting pod. We think we all picked the Eagles pretty much, but I did think it was going to be under a touchdown. Um, so I was going into the game excited. I watched it an hour late as well, so I could fast forward all the adverts. And I started watching the game, and I was like, "Oh no, this game is just going to be an absolute disaster." We had the fake, well, the punt that didn't hit the camera. Uh, line did it not we had obviously the catch that clearly hit the ground that they didn't call then we had Brock Purdy's arm and then like it felt like every time the Eagles rushed the passer there was three or four people meeting at the quarterback and um for the neutral obviously not fun but um my podcast co-host that I do um is an Eagles fan he went to the game flew over there um big Eagles fan all his life so I was kind of wanting the Eagles to win just for him so I was kind of cheering them on but about halfway through I was like oh no this game just feels like it's it's completely over but um what summed up for me was Purdy after the game saying that obviously he had to go in because if they put 
I think Juszczyk was going to play. Um, I know the broadcast said CMC, but apparently it was actually Juszczyk who was going to play. Uh, and they'd have just known then there was a run every time. So they just thought if we put Purdy out there, there'd be nine in the box instead of 11 in the box, <laughs> basically. Uh, and, and he said that we had confidence that I could throw it five to 10 yards if I had to. Of which the follow-up question was, well, it was fourth and three, and you ran it up the gut for minus six or whatever it was, and then Purdy kind of just shrugged to the camera. So I'm, I'm pretty sure he kind of knew like, I shouldn't be out there, but there was just nothing else that they could do. But in terms of what to take from the game, I think you have to look at the first three drives and just think how well the Eagles stopped the run. Um, and there was not a lot of space for Brandon Ayuk, especially he's been killing teams the last five or six weeks. So I think in the first three drives, when the game's a bit more in hand, you say, the defense was great, but yeah, I don't I don't know what you can take from the offensive point of view, just because that defense for the 49ers was just on the on the field the whole time. Um Bosa obviously got took out on a punt as well. Someone I think ran into him <laughs> on the sideline as well. And I just think if you're a 49ers fan, everything went wrong in that game. But um one thing I don't want to hear is I, I've already heard it today in both games and probably my game, we'll talk about it more. But a lot of people talking about the refs in that game. Um, from an Eagles point of view, like I've heard people say oh, they were biased against the Eagles, and I've heard people saying they were giving calls to the Eagles, and I just think there's no way you can watch that first game and just think that the refs had anything to do with the, the result. I think if the Eagles put their foot down, they probably could have scored 40-plus, but they just didn't need to. So, yeah, a dominant performance is a shame because I think it, it kind of ruined a good playoff day, but if you're an Eagles fan, then uh, like Steve, like, you're not going to be bothered about that at all. <laughs> Yeah, I think that you, you raise a good point with the penalties. I think there was one you could definitely argue, which was the um, the punt, the, the hitting the punter, where he's he's rushing at the guy and he you know he gets pushed, and you know you could probably argue that one. And then there's one where there's the um, uh, illegal uh, touching on the line when it's uh, he wrapped his arms around AJ Brown, and that's sort of a bit, you know. AJ Brown's a big guy, should be able to shrug that off. But apart from those, like some of the personal fouls, the one where um uh Greenlaw is literally left hooking the ball out of yeah. you know, in, in like that you're literally punching a guy. Like you can't do that and not expect to get called for that. So yeah, I think it was just I think it's just frustration. Like the, the Niners defense was out there for so long. They were just so frustrated and things weren't going their way, and they knew that they had nothing on offense. So they were just gassed by the end. Um, but I mean, the day didn't start well for them when um, when um, uh, one of the linebackers went down. I forget which uh, I forget which Fred linebacker Warner, it was. was. Uh, Frank Warner, that's it. Yeah, uh, sorry, Fred Warner. Um, yeah, he went down like third third play of the game or something, and he looked like he was writhing in pain. I thought he dislocated his shoulder at first because he was really grabbing that shoulder. I was like, oh god, if he goes down, this you know this is going to be a cakewalk for the Eagles in the run game. But he came back in, and then Borsa was injured, and yeah, it just they just couldn't stop the run, and that was all the Eagles needed to do. Yeah, like you say, it was a really strange game. I mean, it obviously swung on on a couple of, of key plays. I think credits um, for the Eagles going for that um, fourth and one on the drive that ended up as a touchdown just before, well, say just before the half. They obviously ended up gaining another possession, didn't they? But that obviously ended up, you know, giving them the lead. And subsequently, then Josh Johnson sort of muffing that snap, and obviously then all of a sudden it was a quick, a quick double up. And then, like you say, I think San Francisco's defense basically came out with the white flag in the second half. Didn't they? Let's be completely honest, because I think even they knew that the game was well and truly up. So it is a shame. Just on the Niners boys, before we flip over to the other game, when do we start saying that? these injuries are something other than a bit of bad luck because Carl Shanahan rightly gets a lot of praise for a lot of the offensive schemes that he draws up and it seems as though you can plug anybody in at running back in particular and that's always been a really successful scheme and all these other things that get mentioned but you know is this now becoming a bit of a pattern and a thing of concern you mentioned it earlier Steve about the fact that you know arguably one of the Eagles best well probably the Eagles best pass rusher certainly in terms of the numbers on the season the most successful and and consistent pass rusher left one-on-one with a tight end you know three quarterbacks of well four quarterbacks have all got injured for the 49ers this season now yeah part of that is bad luck don't get me wrong but is it about time that Carl Shannon starts to look at these things and say, actually, we need to start doing something a little bit different here? Because this is regular now that this happens. It's not it's not unusual for the 49ers to have issues at the quarterback position. And at some point, it becomes something other than just a bit of bad luck, doesn't it? Yeah, it was, a, was it last season or the season before? Well, I think it was the season before where like half of their defense was on IR, and they had they had something like a hundred and six dollars worth of that year's money on IR because there were so many players that were banged up. And you know, you can legitimately ask questions about stuff like the turf. Like I know turf's caused a lot of injuries across the league for certain stadiums where they play because players always get injured, and sort of you know you can 
you can plant a foot and then the, the um, studs can get caught in the turf. And that's certainly a question. But I never thought the Levi's was that, that stadium that where that would affect people. Um, but I don't know if is it is it a case of injury luck or is it a case that San Francisco like to amass players that are injury prone? Like CMC is injury prone. He's always been injury prone his entire career. And he was definitely not 100% last night. You could tell. He kept, he kept getting his calf looked at on the sideline. And you could just tell that he wasn't 100%, even though he played quite well. You could just tell he wasn't there. You know, the same with um, Jimmy G. Like, Jimmy G's always been injury prone. Ever since he tore his ACL about, about seven years ago, he's always been injury prone. Um, you know, so I wonder if a bit of it is to do with just the players that they amass are just injury prone players. But San Francisco, particularly, maybe apart from maybe Baltimore, San Francisco, one of the worst plagued teams in the league when it comes to injuries. But I don't know what the, I don't know why that is. I don't, I couldn't put a finger on it myself. You know, I, I mentioned it last night that, you know, it's really bad luck for Shanahan. This always seems to happen. But Eventually, surely you've got to start looking in the mirror. Is this is this something that you're doing? Are they are, they, are the training too intense? Do they do they practice too much? Like you know, that's certainly one thing. I can only speak for the Eagles because they're my team and I follow them. But I know the Eagles after a Sunday game, they'll have a walkthrough on Wednesday, then they'll practice Thursday, Friday, and then they'll fly out to the game. So they only actually have two in pads practices in a week, whereas some other teams might have more than that. So I don't know. Is that is that in is that too intense? I just don't know. But it's definitely cost them. You know, you think that team, if that team is led by Trey Lance or even Jimmy G, that I think that's a much closer game. And I think the Eagles could probably have been beaten last night if it wasn't for the, the quarterback situation. So, yeah, it's cost them. It's cost them again, and it's cost them before in previous seasons as well. Yeah, someone who um, used to work for PFF, he works for... Um... The guy used to be the GM of the Falcons now in his new company. And they did a study and they've drafted or signed the most amount of days missed. So in terms of players of any team in the last six seasons, which is obviously how long Shanahan's, um, oh, sorry, five seasons, how long Shanahan's been there. Because you've got Trent Williams as well, always injured throughout his career. He's obviously probably their best player, arguably. Mm-hmm. They signed Javarius Ward, used to play for the Chiefs, had an amazing game actually against AJ Brown yesterday. He always missed games for the Chiefs. And like you said, CMC, Jimmy G. Um, I think the Trey Lance one's probably a little bit unlucky, obviously, just a standard run up the gut and obviously broke his leg or whatever it was. But yeah, there's definitely something to it. Um, Kyle's faced issues before as well. I think I remember they played in New York two weeks in a row and the advice, according, they had loads of injuries, both games in the end. And the advice after game one was we should stay in New York, not travel and risk more injuries. He travels all the way home. They fly all the way back to New York. And the next game, which I think was the second game, was against the Jets. They had four more players last year that then went on IR. And that was the, the season you're talking about where I think it was nine defensive starters were all on IR for a period of yeah. eight weeks that season. And I just think even their best play for me on defense is probably Bosa in college. He missed nearly two full seasons because of injuries. And he is a great player. I'd want him to play for the Chiefs, of course. But um, there's definitely something to it in terms of drafting and, and how he makes his decisions. But um, yeah, it's a little bit of bad luck for them as well. And I think Kyle's probably just sat there thinking, what have I got to do to get a, a good end to the season here? But yeah. Um, yeah, I think there's definitely factors that contribute to it. And it's just natural as well. When you run the ball more than anyone and you run the ball the way they run it with different types of bodies, different types of players, different types of guards and tight ends pulling all over the place, there's just higher chance you're going to get hit in, in and around the, the line of scrimmage than teams like the Chiefs, for example, who just throw it outside so much. So, yeah, um, yeah something to it. And for me, the QB stuff's a little bit unlucky. I, I don't know what that means for next year. I don't know what your thoughts are, you two, but um, who I'm they're f- going to start, who they're not going to start, because I just don't think Lance will be fit for, for week one, personally. I'm fascinated to be a fly on the wall in that in that um, 49ers sort of head GM's office for, for next season as to who they have on the roster for QB week one. My gut feeling is they'll still go with Trey Lance just because of how much they've invested in him. Like surely they, they've still got to give him a chance and I think Brock Purdy will back him up. I think Jimmy G's probably gone. There's no need for them to sign him on when they've invested that much in, in Lance. But then there's all this talk of Brady as well that's sort of yeah. you know bubbling away. So who knows? The, the, the Niners quarterback position is a never-ending carousel, I feel. Yeah, yeah. I, think, I mean, obviously, like you say, the injury recovery is, is obviously a determining factor in it. I, I think they will be really pleased with what they've got out of Brock Purdy at the back end of the season. And I, I don't see them going the Brady route because you know, that, that's essentially Super Bowl or bust next season if they go that route, isn't it? Which, you know, they may well take that option, but would seem a strange one. They've just given up, like Steve said, a ton of draft capital and all that kind of stuff for a young quarterback to all of a sudden pivot to a guy twice his age would be... 
an extremely strange thing for them to do. But yeah, look, I think look, there's, there's reasons to be optimistic. But obviously, like you say, it's a shame that the season peters out the way that it does. Um, like I say, certainly we all previewed this last week, saying it was probably going to be the most intriguing game. You know, we we felt both games would be close, but we felt this one would be a real battle. The other one would be more of a shootout. Neither of them quite worked out that way, and that pivots us up to the other game, which was probably more of the intriguing defensive battle that we were expecting in the first one. Because it ends up with the Chiefs on the right side of this one, 23 points to 20. Um, obviously, going in, I think there'd been an awful lot of talk uh, about the fact that the Bengals had had this recent sort of hoodoo over the Chiefs. You know, we were, were quite sort of big on the Bengals' chances last week as well. They'd obviously been very impressive in that performance against the Bills. Um, and obviously all eyes were on Patrick Mahomes and his mobility. Um, but ultimately, like I say, really interesting game to watch from a neutral's perspective. Liam, you watched it live, so I'd imagine your heart was racing at various points. Um, but yeah, 23-20 with obviously uh field goal near enough as time is expiring ultimately to be the difference maker. Man. Yeah, and a field goal from someone who's had the worst year of his career as well. He's had yeah. high ankle, um, ironically, Patrick Mahomes injuries, had high ankle sprains all season, back injury towards the end of the season, missed more kicks than he's ever missed. And then he comes through on, like, I think it was like 15 or 16 miles per hour wins as well in that fourth quarter, which is not massive, but it's a pressure kick, isn't it? And uh, for him to make that kick, it's safe to say I was very nervous when he lined up because <laughs> I was thinking like, okay, if we miss this, there's still like going to be five seconds, which is definitely enough time to throw some ridiculous kind of 50-50 ball to Jamar Chase, who like mosses four guys and wins the game just to annoy <laughs> me. So, um, yeah, it was a hell of a finish. The game in general, I agree with you. I did think it was going to be a shootout. Um, there was not really much wind at the start of the game. There was no rain, no snow. So all the conditions were like, okay, this could be a shootout. Uh, as long as Mahomes can, can obviously play 60, 70, 80% of his level. Um, but I just thought both defences were, were really, really good. Second half, um, the DC, Luana Rumo, does what he always does to Andy, which unfortunately, it just he seems to just change the coverage on every single snap and Andy just can't get those play calls going and it relies on Mahomes to just do crazy stuff to, to win the game. But I thought, especially in the first half, both defences were really, really good, which did surprise me about how good our defence is because it's probably the, the weakest unit on the field. But um, yeah, I just thought Chris Jones, we spoke about, um, obviously I saw him Redick earlier, he's not quite up for DPOY, but um, for me, Chris Jones deserves to be in that top three, top four. And that was probably the best game I've ever seen him play yesterday. He had eight pressures, which is the most for any DT um, in the modern day Super Bowl era in a championship game. And I just think that kind of performance on defense just won us. I think it was four sacks on the first two drives, ended the game of a Chris Jones sack. Um, and surprisingly, he'd never had a playoff sack before yesterday. So, um, yeah, I think he helped win the game. But obviously, the story will always be the Mahomes flu game for Michael Jordan for anyone like me who likes to compare the two and uh, he played extremely well got hurt on a muffed kind of fumble that he did himself and he said I have no idea why I dived for the ball because I could not get the ball there was like a, <laughs> DJ Reader was like piling down on top of the ball and he decided to dive and he was like oh what have I done because the minute he did that you could see he could barely move but um, yeah it was a great game anyone who listens to the betting pod knows I do hate the Bengals, so there's probably going to be some bias in this whole discussion. Um, but I thought, yeah, I thought we deserved it. Um, I was just a little bit worried after the first half, because if you watch the first half, you'd think, oh, Chiefs should be up 21-3 here, like how well we played. Um, but yeah, second half, we managed to scrape through, and uh, Patrick Mahomes throwing to wide receiver seven <laughs> on the last couple of drives managed to get it done in the end. Yeah, it was eerie similar, Steve, in a lot of ways to last year's game where the Chiefs were up at half-time and then the Bengals started coming back in the second half and and you sort of thought to yourself, as well, certainly I did watching it, oh, here we go again. You know, I, I genuinely had no idea of the result when I started watching it this morning um, and it just almost felt as though uh, they really have just got the hoodoo over them. they found a way to come back. They're probably going to go and nick it again. Um and obviously, you know, there were chances, I suppose, for, for more points from both teams in this one. But I think Liam's just summed it up well there. I think both teams defensively. And I think that's where both of these teams have improved. We've kind of mentioned it, haven't we? The Chiefs probably feel like a more all-around team than they have done in previous years, where it's always been seemingly powered by the offence. You know, they've had like the number one ranked offence against the number 32 ranked defence at times, haven't they? It's much more rounded. And I think Cincinnati have made great strides on that side of the ball as well. They feel like a, a real complete roster as well. So it was a really, really intriguing matchup this one. 
Yeah, I mean, the, the Chiefs all season, I think their defense has gone under the radar. Like, you know, you think of an Andy Reid team, you think of a well-coached offense. He's a he's an offensive wizard. Like, he, you, you'll scheme up players where you're just not, you don't know where the ball's going. He's, he's one of the best in the league, if not the best in the league at doing that. But you, I think Steve Spagnola on the defense, have, you know, deserves some credit because this season they've sort of gone under the radar. They haven't got too many big stars on that defense, but they've just all come together as a unit and played really good football. Um, I think you're right to point out Chris Jones, Liam, some of his sacks were excellent. Defensive tackles are not usually the type of guys that get sacks. Defensive tackles usually cause the pressure, which then folds the interior, which causes the the edge rushers to get home because they get past their guys. But yeah, Chris Jones had a hell of a game. There was one, there was one. I think it was in the third quarter where he, he took down Joe Burrow and it was a monster of a sack. Like he picked his best best time to have the best game of his, his career, certainly in the playoffs. Um but I thought, yeah, I think, like you said, both defences played well. I think the offences just stuttered in places. Like, it, it just seemed like there was, it, it just, it never, no, neither team never could quite get any momentum going. And it was just constant punt, punt, punt. There was a lot of punts in this game. And um, you just felt like there was, it, not nothing was ever quite sort of moving forward with any momentum. Neither team was really driving down the field repet- repeatedly and scoring um, big plays. Um, I think the, the Bengals had some of the flashier plays. Like the, the touchdown catch to T. Higgins was insane. Like the way he just rose above both cornerback and the safety and, and plucked out there was was great. There was one in the, in the, I think it was in the fourth quarter, to save a, a drive when Jamar Chase caught one, I think about 10 yards from the end zone. That was an, another hell of a play. Um but yeah, they just refused to be beat. The, the, the fumble, the Mahomes fumble was so weird. It looked like he went to throw it and just like lost the ball. Like he yeah. just sort of threw it behind him. And then he and then yeah, like you said, he jumped on it. And I was like, you are not getting that ball. I don't know why you tried that. Um, but I think he definitely looked a bit sort of um a, a bit sort of hurt after that. Like he he wasn't moving around quite as well. And you've got, I mean, for a guy that had a high ankle sprain, which is usually sort of anywhere between three to six weeks sort of recovery time. And I've seen, you know, we've seen players in the NFL take a good sort of, you know, four, five, six weeks to come back from that and start playing well. For him to be on the field the very next week and for the first half at least look, you know, at least 90%. Like his movement did not look hindered at all. Sure, he wasn't doing all of the usual scrambly stuff like Mahomes does. Um, his his game was a little bit limited, but if you're watching that as a neutral, and you didn't know that he got a high ankle sprain last night. You would last week, you wouldn't have said that he did. Um, I thought he still looked his usual self. Um, I think you could tell that the the um, the pass catchers were not the, the best. And you know, like you said, he was throwing catches to the seventh string wide receiver at one stage, um, yeah. and they, they you know. I, I know he got the touchdown and, and, and Kelsey and Mahomes are the kings of extending plays and making things happen when the play is already broken down. But um, I thought they, they the Bengals did well of taking Kelsey out of the game and not really letting him have such a big impact in it. Um, but again, once again, it comes down to whoever had the ball last. And I think both teams had, had chances to win this. And I'm sure our Bengals fans in our group will not appreciate me saying this, but I feel like the Bengals have plenty of chances to win this game. Um, they just couldn't get it done. They, there was a lot of chances where the, the Chiefs managed to put up a stand, and they had to, you know, they had to punt. And there was the um, the interception as well in the second half, which was a killer at the time. And then you know, they, when it's twenty twenty, and they have to punt as well. That after seven plays, right at the end, like you know, it just they just this red zone and and their offense in general just stuttered at key points. Cincinnati, which is unlike them, especially at Arrowhead in, in recent seasons. Um, but yeah, ultimately, I think it's a revenge game for for Mahomes and the Chiefs. They finally get it done at home, back to the ball game again. Um, and I think they'll be pleased to get it done over the Bengals. I think they've probably been wanting to get that done for a while. And to get it done in the AFC Championship of all games, they're probably pretty pleased with that, I can imagine. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you, you sort of joked, Liam, that he was like throwing to wide receiver seven. He wasn't probably wide receiver seven on the depth chart, but certainly it hasn't been a great season for Marquez Valdez scantily enough to come in over in free agency. Um, obviously brought in with the intention of, I suppose, being the deep threat to supposedly not replace Tariq Hill, because he's pretty irreplaceable, isn't he? But obviously sort of offer that stretch the field, big playability. He certainly had his best day in a Chiefs uniform yesterday. 
Um, and obviously, you know, it's a short turnaround now. I know you obviously get the two weeks, you know, you get the extra week in between with the Pro Bowl, but he's only two weeks away. Mahomes is still going to be doing plenty of rehab. He's obviously got another game and another amount of hits and everything piled on top of the, the issues that he'd already got there. You know, there's not long for the Chiefs to get healthy here. So seeing a big performance from the likes of Scantling will, will be really pleasing for Andy Reid because obviously he's going to need all the weapons that he can because we know, as we said earlier, how dominant this uh, Eagles defence has been. Yeah, and I think going back to Marquez, the the touchdown catch and throw was pretty nuts when you've got a high ankle sprain. Obviously, Mahomes stepping up in the pocket. Um, you had Reader and I can't remember who the other one was. might be BJ Hill. Just coming in at the same time and you're like, right, I'm going to get absolutely smashed, but I have to throw this. And he threw it, no look, ping in the middle. And when I saw the throw, I was thinking, oh, Jesse Bates has got that. And then Marquez finally doesn't drop one, which has been the, <laughs> the season, the story of his season, really, because he's been open a lot and uh, Mahomes has missed him a lot as well. A lot of um, underthrones, really, where I think he's almost thinking he's not as fast as Tyreek and he doesn't throw it near high enough. And then obviously Marquez can't get it. But yeah, he played really well. Um, injuries were a worry. Um, it came out late on Friday that Kelsey had back issues and might not play. It came out that Juju's knee, he couldn't practice Friday. Uh, he played, so they put him as limited, but it got leaked afterwards. He played one snap in practice, and then immediately walked off the field. Uh, Tony obviously sprained his ankle during the game. Pacheco got evaluated for concussion. I'm sat there thinking, like, okay, I don't know who's going to play offense on this. <laughs> I'm going to have to have, like, Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy coming out in a minute to start playing as tight, tight ends at about one point. But, uh, yeah, I, 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 that's what was the most impressive thing to me, is just getting it done with the guys that he did it with. Um, and like you said, two-week turnaround. I probably anticipate that he'll be close to... 80 90 percent until he gets hit again, and that's just luck. Whether that hits his ankle, I think Kelsey will be fine. But, um, for the Super Bowl, it's going to be a big watch on those wide receivers because they, they they were definitely not not healthy yesterday. And just flipping it to the other side of the ball, obviously, the Bengals, like you said, um, had a couple of chances to get it done. A kind of story for me of the season, really, like you said, with an underrated defense, was they played against four rookies that played nearly all the snaps. And the secondary in the second half of the Chiefs was a seventh round rookie, a fifth round rookie. Um, a fourth round rookie, and then obviously Justin Reed, who gets paid a good amount of money. So, um, yeah, I just thought it was impressive to me that those safeties and those corners could just keep up anywhere near with how good those weapons were. So, yeah, it was definitely a team win. Um, but Marquez can have his flowers for one game for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, just closing points, Steve, on the, the Bengal side of it. Um, obviously. We gave them lots of praise, deservedly so, in terms of the offensive line performance against the Bills. Obviously, early doors in particular, it felt like, oh my God, what on earth has happened here? Because I think it seemed like every snap in a a sort of three or four play series that Burrow ended up on the ground. I mean, he only ended up with five sacks. I say only ended up with five because there were plenty of other times when he had to scramble to avoid a sack or he threw the ball away or, you know, obviously there was an intentional grounding that was called later on. I'm going to come on to talk about refereeing in general because we've kind of touched on it throughout all of the games without sort of going into it because my honest opinion is I don't think the refereeing was the deciding factor in either of the games as it invariably hardly ever is when it comes to the NFL, but we'll talk about it because it's obviously a big talking point. But in terms of the Bengals, mate, it almost feels as though a little bit similar to last off-season they're in a really good, healthy position, but do they just need to invest in actually, you know, some protection on that offensive line? Because even the big money that they spent last season didn't necessarily seem to solve all the issues this year. And it seems the defense is pretty good. The weapons are obviously there. Is it really just about now investing in Joe Burrow? Because he'll obviously probably sign. You would imagine a new deal this summer. Obviously, the, the money won't kick in till a few years down the line. So they're in a pretty healthy position. But is it all about just protecting that investment, do you think? Yeah, I think, you know, this is unfortunately, let's be real here, this is what happens when you go from playing a Buffalo team that had 40 sacks on a season. Um, that I would, I, I haven't got it in front of me, but I'm assuming a lot of those would be um, uh, to... Who's the player that got down winded wise? His name escaping Von, me. Von Miller. Von Miller, thank you. Sorry. I would imagine a lot of those are attributed to Von Miller. And then you play a Kansas City Chiefs team that had 55 sacks on the season. They've got a monster of a defensive line when you've got guys like Chris Jones and Frank Clark. Um, you know, so the, unfortunately, that's just what happens when you've got 
guys, uh, you know, you're piecing together an offensive line. And we saw what happened with the, the Bengals offensive line a couple of years ago when Burrow took all of those sacks and eventually had that horrible injury. Um, they they brought some players in, they drafted well, and, you know, they managed to get that together last season. But this season, again, they've lost a couple of players. They managed to get through the game against Buffalo because Buffalo's pass rush without Von Miller is a bit toothless, as we discussed last week. And unfortunately, the, the sort of chickens came home to roost in this one and, and it was a bit of a... Uh, um, a bit of a feast for the for the Kansas City defensive line because they were all over him all game, and I you know I actually you know I, I bang on about pass rush a lot because I'm from the Jeff Stoutland University where you know you you build your teams in the trenches, and um, I think if had the Bengals have, have won that game and they'd gone through to play the Eagles, I think the Eagles' offensive defensive line sorry would be absolutely licking their lips at the prospect of going up against that offensive line. So you know it, it's just what happens when when you know you face a better ru- a pass rushing. Um, defense and that's exactly what happened um, and he couldn't stay upright and unfortunately it's cost him the game in the end um, I think there's a big contract coming his way um, I don't think this game typifies what Joe Burrow is like I think he's he's proven time and time again that he's an accurate calm laser of a passer and who's very good at protecting the ball usually he might get sacked a lot but he doesn't turn the ball over a great deal considering what he has to face um, and he's going to get a monster contract coming his way I think it'll be north of what um Mahomes got. I think it wouldn't surprise me if it's north north of what um, uh, Kyler Murray got with Arizona as well. Um, there's a lot. Of, there's a lot of players this offseason, A lot of quarterbacks this offseason that could get paid. We're all looking at Lamar. We're now looking at Joe Burrow, and you know Jalen Hurts is now eligible after your third year in the league. So there's a lot of players that could get paid this offseason. I think this is their last year of him in the in the rookie deal. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if they tool up again with with a few more big free agent acquisitions and then go for it again because. Once you've got that player on a, on a big contract, it proves that unless you have all the right places, all the right pieces in all the right places and the right coaching staff and everything starts together, it's very, very difficult to go back when you're investing uh, heavy resources in the uh, in the quarterback position. Um, but last word on the Chiefs, one other thing I will say is a tweet that made me crack up uh, earlier today was when I heard someone refer to the AC, AFC Championship as the Arrowhead Invitational. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Five years in a row now. Yeah, yeah, five years in a row. That is the, the joke. Yeah, and I don't know what you guys think about the rest of it because obviously you're not as in, into it as us Chiefs or Bengals fans. But what were your thoughts on kind of the drama between obviously all their players talking all week? Obviously, Chiefs players refused to say anything. You had the whole mayor thing that Patrick Mahomes was laughing at after the game, uh, saying that he, that's, he was thinking about that this week. And obviously, it's two neutrals. I know one of you is an AFC rival of the Bengals, but. What did you think about that kind of that whole thing? Do you think that made a difference, or was it just a talk, fun talking point after the games? Because they definitely hate each other, the two teams. Yeah, look, I think there's definitely a rivalry building there, isn't there? And like you say, the two quarterbacks of the of the age and the rosters are of the talent that you feel this won't be the last time we see these two in the championship game again in the next you know few years. You know, it was obviously a repeat of last year, wasn't it? So, like you say, they're they're, they're going to be rivals. You would feel for a long time. I think it's nothing more than a bit of, you know, a bit of bulletin board material to be completely honest. I don't think there's, there's too much to take from it, to be honest. Um, you know, and ultimately you get your last laugh by whatever the result is out on the field, don't you? So, you know, it's one of those. Anybody moaning about Travis Kelsey's post-game interview, well, if you can't, <laughs> You know, if you can't take it, don't dish it out at the end of the day because, you know, it's all just in good humour and a bit of good jest and whatever. So, oh, yeah, look, I'm not, uh, I'm certainly not against it. It adds to the drama and the spectacle of it, doesn't it? So, yeah, by all, by all means, as long as it's in good taste and good nature, then then by all means bring it on. That's what I'll say. <laughs> I'm I sure. Just, St- I'm sure Steve with his uh, Philly and Dallas uh, rivalries probably got similar things he could call well, to. I think uh, what what. Uh, in more to your point in terms of like teams sort of saying all this stuff before the game itself, I just don't understand why they do it. Why give the opposition the ammunition they need? Because San Francisco did the same thing. Look, the Cincinnati mayor did that ridiculous thing of of, <laughs> um, of renaming the stadium um, Burrowhead, and then there was that whole what was it the petition to call uh, to see if. 
thing is um, Joe Burrow is Patrick Mahomes' daddy. Like, why say that before the game? That's just giving them the ammunition they need because I didn't see anything come out from, from the Chiefs fans or Chiefs players or, like, anyone really saying anything. They're just like, right, let them come into town. Let them prove it. And look, they've lost the game. And now they look absolutely stupid for saying it. And I think Andy Reid said in his press conference, I'm sure Zach Taylor didn't want all that stuff said. I'm sure Zach Taylor didn't because the 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 same thing happened with the 49ers fans. They went and put a T-shirt on the Rocky statue. The Vikings fans did the same thing five years ago and they lost 37, uh, sorry, 38-7. Look how that worked out for them. And they also put that Brocky photo about where they had uh, Brock Purdy in the Rocky statue and I think Carl Shanahan carried it to the top of the steps. Why do it? Why give them the ammunition? Because look what happened, guys. Now you're both back at home and neither of you are playing in the Super Bowl. Idiots. Yeah, no, absolutely. Like I say, you've got to be prepared for the backlash if it doesn't work. So, yeah, like I say, I'm sure they'll be playing each other plenty of more times to add to the rivalry in the coming seasons. Uh, Going to talk, fellas, for a few minutes on refereeing because I didn't want to didn't want to detract from either of the games because I think it's very easy to to then start looking at key decisions that shaped the game and and had a, an influence. Look, I'm going to open this up by saying first and foremost, it goes without saying that any refereeing decision is going to impact the outcome of a game or of a play or whatever the case may be. That's part and parcel of the game. Yes, in the playoffs, there's supposedly now this expedited review system, which we've seen in effect and has been handy from time to time. But ultimately, this is a game that is subjective. You know, people have to make judgment calls. People always forget as well, the referees don't see replays. You know, they get one view at it, and it's the view that they happen to be in at the time. They don't know before the snap where the play's going. They don't know what direction the ball's being run to or all of that. So, look, it's a very difficult job is essentially what I'm trying to say with regards to the referee. There were a few decisions over the course of the weekend that have got people talking, as inevitably there is every weekend. I'll just open this up by saying I don't think it helps that people that have got... Um, influential positions or have huge followings and things like that. I'm talking about people like, you know, pro football talk, for example, when they talk, when they tweet out rigged, simply yeah. just put the word rigged as if, <laughs> as if the league knew, for example, that Brock Purdy was going to get injured in the first few offensive snaps of the 49ers game, as if they knew that a, you know, clock operator was going to run the game clock when it should have been a dead clock and all of these kind of things. It's like the last thing the NFL wants is any idea that these games are rigged. They are going to be far from rigged, let me tell you. It'll be so well regulated. So it's not going to be rigged at all. It's always the opposing teams that come up with the conspiracy theories as well as it's always the losing <laughs> team that's got the conspiracy theory. And Liam, I'll throw it to you to open up because I think you were sort of half expecting to probably have to defend the Chiefs more than, <laughs> than I've made you defend them. Because like I say, for me, the, the refereeing was almost a subplot in this. I think the one that stands out to me is that third down that got the do-over. You know, they described mm. it on the, on the broadcast as a mulligan and this, that and the other. Correct me if I'm wrong. If that ball had been completed and the Chiefs had made that third down, They'd have had to have done it over again anyway. They only got the benefit, if you like, because they didn't complete the pass. They would have yeah. equally been as penalised if they had a completed the ball because that play was being redone in whatever scenario. So it became a talking point because ultimately, through the Bengals committing a penalty, that they ultimately ended up converting, so to speak. But that wasn't the Chiefs' fault or anything like that. So, I mean, just what was your take just in terms of the, the sort of refereeing in, in standard? If you want to talk about any decisions in, individually, yeah. by all means, do so. But like I said, I didn't want to sort of just sort of focus too heavily on it because for me, they, I think the best teams won both of the games, regardless of the refereeing decision. Hmm. Yeah, and I think the problem is you get into this, and we've all done it, I've definitely done it, actually probably when the Chiefs lost to the Bengals, uh, not in the playoffs, but in the regular season, that I know that I was blaming the refs, but uh, I think when you blame the refs in a, in a game like that, and that's kind of your takeaway, like, they lost because of the refs, you kind of undo, what, 25, 26 weeks of like hard work from these players, because like those odd decisions, they probably go against your team every single week, and there's probably not a good enough replay to show a hold that we'll never see, and things like that, and I think it does take away a little bit of the joy. And I, I don't know how you guys feel, but it's definitely a Twitter thing that I've noticed that some people seem like they are watching the games and like re-watching replays to spot things that there's just no way a ref when you've got 70,000 people and the ball's going however fast. And you've got Tyreek Hill running at 24 miles an hour. And like, how are you going to spot every single little thing? So I think for me, it's definitely 
a social media thing that's making this worse. But in terms of the referees in general, obviously there's a lot of drama. They're not full-time employees in this sport, which is crazy for a billion-dollar industry. I, I think they should be. Um, there's no age caps, which people talk about, which I think is probably a fair thing to talk about. And then obviously the Sky Judge is something that other people say in terms of feeding instant replay. Like you said, we they've done it this year a lot with spots, haven't they? Like, oh, it's a third and one. And then they've looked at it quickly and been like, no, it's a first down and it didn't waste any game time. I feel like those things are things we can help. But um, in terms of this weekend, yeah, I just agree. Uh, I agree with you. Obviously, the, the third and nine that everyone's talking about for the Chiefs game, um, it's just the right call to do because if they let that run and it's a punt, then if you're the other team, you're saying, well, the rule is it's a dead clock. So they just, that's, that plays incorrect for us. So Bengals fans saying like, oh, that's incorrect for us. Like, well, no, by rule, it would be incorrect for the team, for the other team. So I don't see how you can have an argument. Um, but I think what makes it worse is just the TV side of things. I don't know what you felt like watching the game back, but they just didn't have a clue what was going on. So when you're sat at home, not in the stadium, and you've got the commentators being like, oh, what are they doing? Like, they've missed it. No one came in. There's no whistle. And then, like, a minute later, they show the clearest replay of the ref waving the playoff. But if they'd have done that immediately, everyone watching would have been like, oh, okay. But they didn't. They just waited and waited and waited. So, for me, I think the TV stuff makes it worse. And um, I thought, I'm biased, obviously, because we won. But I thought the game, I, I didn't really think there's any bad calls. Obviously, the Asai one sucks for him as a kid because he's amazing. And he played well yesterday. But Patrick Mahomes was out of bounds by a foot. And you push a quarterback over, and the same thing happened to Hurts, but the game didn't matter, obviously. The game was over at that point. Um, I know there was an interception for the Chiefs that got called back. There was obviously a touchdown that got called back. I know there was a block in the back that Bengals fans say. So for me, you can count them all up, and you might be like three calls wrong on each side. But I think the problem was, because it looks so bad on TV, that when, that one call, that any call after that, everyone's going to be like, these referees don't know what they're doing. So I just think the TV copy could have done a better idea of just protecting it and just being like, oh no, the call was correct because of X. Whereas they just kind of hung them out to dry. And then if you're sat at home watching, you're like, oh, these refs are incompetent. So every call after that is a drama. That's kind of my yeah. thoughts on it. Yeah, and it's strange, isn't it, Steve? Because they've obviously, certainly when it comes to the playoffs, obviously throughout the season, they they generally go to the likes of Mike Pereira or, you know, whatever the case may be, depending obviously on what network you're watching. So there are refereeing presences in these sort of booths and everything, which you would feel, to Liam's point there, should try and help to sort of explain the situation. It's one of the criticisms of VAR in English football at the minute, isn't it? That, you know, it goes to VAR and we all sit there for three minutes. We've all made our mind up at home because <laughs> we've seen the replay and we say, yeah, he's offside or no, that's definitely a foul. And you still have to wait three minutes for the official verdict to come through. So it's a similar sort of scenario. But I mean, like I say, when the frustrating for me was, like I say, you wake up in the morning, you sort of read tweets about these are the worst officiated games in conference championship history and all these sort of, you know, headlines that are obviously just attention-grabbing headlines, but obviously, like I said, these are accounts that know very well that they're going to get the attention that they crave. And, you know, it started off with the Devontae Smith one in your game was the first call that people started questioning. Real time, I don't think the referees could have spotted that. They obviously didn't spot that. I think the 49ers could have been intelligent to realise, well, Devontae Smith's very keen to get this next snap off. There's every chance he's possibly not caught this and they could have threw the flag. You know, don't give me the argument, well, they shouldn't have to. I mean, look, if we want to get to a position that every game is called 100% correctly, most NFL games will probably take six hours because there is probably holding on every single play, if we're being honest, because it's a subjective call. So what, what was your take on it, mate? And then I'll get off my high horse. <laughs> no, I, I think it's a really good point to make. And I think my sort of ultimate takeaway is it's just really lazy, isn't it? It's just a really lazy opinion to have. As soon as someone says, oh, it's rigged, or the refs won the game, or the refs lost you the game, or whatever around the refs, it's just like, I just don't want to engage with you because you don't truly believe that, do you? Do you actually believe that the NFL is rigged? Do you actually believe that they are win willing one team to win this game more than another? Uh, do you actually believe that this NFL official Officiating crew of six guys uh, are wanting for a certain team to win or certain decisions to go, you know, a certain way. Like, I just don't buy it at all. And as soon as someone says that sort of thing, it's like, well, that's just really lazy analysis. You're not looking into the sort of the root of the issue. And I think fundamentally, it's one, it's, it's, it, they are humans. They, 
everyone makes mistakes. They are humans. They only get to see it once. You know, where at home we get all these different angles, all these different replays, you know, and immediately within seconds of the play happening, they see it once and they have to make that split second decision right there and then. And if they don't call it, they get accused of missing things. If they do call it, then they they, they call, might be calling a foul that they, they that is not there. And also the second thing to add to that is it's all objective. Like you said, like, you know, one ref thinks one thing might be a foul and another ref might overrule him and say, no, no, that's not a foul. Especially when, you know, a lot of the rules are open to interpretation, stuff like pass interference, you know, stuff like, um, um, you know, roughing the passer, that sort of thing, like where it's it's down to interpretation as to what is and isn't pass interference or roughing the passer, that sort of thing. Some refs will let games flow a bit more and won't call things. You know, you, we all love it when we let we see wide receivers and cornerbacks fight and, and sort of, you know, get a bit handsy and sort of, you know, battle downfield because it makes for a better game. But some refs, as soon as they see it, not they call it. And, and, and that the sort of sets the precedent for the game. Um I think ultimately it's just a case of I don't think I'm also a big believer is there's 60 minutes in a football game. There are so many different things that can happen. You cannot pin a game on one one mistake, one one issue, one event, one call. You can't. I'm sorry, but if you do that, then you are, like you said, Liam, you are undoing not only 26 weeks worth of work, but you are undoing the last 59 minutes of that game and what you've done and what you've achieved or haven't achieved. You know, the um, the Joseph Asai play last night in the in the Bengals Chiefs game, yeah, it's it's a bonehead play. And yes, he's now, you know, the, the clip of him in his locker room in his locker with with BJ Hill is is heart wrenching because the guy's young. He knows he's makes a mistake. He's really upset about it, and I really feel for the guy because he's probably just got caught in the moment. He knows it's a foul. That is a foul. That is fundamentally a foul. He's out of bounds. He's pushed him. You just can't do that. The guy knows he's done it. But is that why the Bengals lost the game? No, that's not why the Bengals lost the game. There's plenty of other moments in that game why they lost the game. It's the same with the Devonta Smith's catch, like you said, Sean, or the catch that wasn't a catch because at the time I'm I'm running around my room because that looked like an unbelievable catch. But when you watch it back on the replay, it does hit the ground. Like you know, if they look back at that, that is more than likely not going to get called a catch that's coming back. And actually, it would have been turnover on downs. But when Devonta Smith gets up and starts doing the fist together, which is obviously the Eagles sign for we need to get a playoff, when he starts doing that and he's running back and the Eagles are lining up to get a playoff, why is Carl Shanahan not throwing the flag? Nick Sirianni did it early, later in the game when Brock Purdy threw the fumble. Well, I said threw, punched the ball through the air and it ended up being a fumble rather than an incomplete pass. Nick Sirianni was straight down with the flag. Why is Carl Shanahan not doing that? Some things the refs are going to miss. And he missed that because Devonta Smith's back was to the ref. So he can't see him. You can't see the ball. They can't see through players. They're, they're only human. So there's only so many things they can do. I think there are ways that they can help. I, one thing I've always loved about the NFL is they mic up the refs. And as soon as the decision, there's a flag, they come on straight on the big big speakers in the in the game and they explain the decision. I love that. From a fan of a sport in, in soccer and football where we don't get any accountability from referees and any explanation from referees, I love the idea that refs explain their decisions because even if you don't agree with it, you know why they've made it and what, what the decision is. I think that's great. I think there's more things they can do to help, like the sky cam, like little things like spotting the ball. Like the ball will reach a certain – that is a fact. The ball has reached a certain point in the field. Why not get help to do that, to determine that? Why not just help that out? Like, surely that's an easy fix. Like, there's things that they can do, but I'm I'm absolutely agreeing with you guys. I don't think, you know, blaming the refs is what's that solving. You know, it's just a really lazy, simple excuse where I don't actually think people believe it when they say it. I think they just throw it out there just to be controversial. And I think a lot of the time people just need to calm down before they talk because more often than not, if you just chill out, actually, you know, it's not the refs and maybe there's a mistake somewhere or someone's done something. And a lot of the time, what one third person thinks is a foul is also what another person doesn't think is a foul. So a lot of it is open to interpretation as well. Yeah, I will say uh, the Eagles game had one of my funniest ref highlights, though, of the year. After they all started fighting, then you had the ref come on the speaker being like, both teams to the sideline, please. <laughs> yeah. He's like, please, both teams. And I say, I was laughing. But like, That is like when I was under 14s football and it kicked off a little bit in like a dodgy town on an away game. And the referee's <laughs> asking everyone to leave. I thought that was quite funny. But yeah, my only other point in this is, certain, I guess, what we started on. Um, in terms of, I think football is, it's a big sport. And obviously, I think football Twitter... I don't know, not everyone who listens to this will follow along as they're watching games, but I know people that do. What you do is you get these accounts, like you said, that just talk, don't know what they're talking about. Even I, I'm not going to know every rule, so I'm not going to do a tweet being like, X amount, this is rigged because of this rule, if I don't know the rule. But it feels like they were doing it all the time, and like that hold was the worst one on the OSI play, where people were like, oh, that's holding. And yeah, Joe Thomas, Mitchell Swartz, two of the best tackles ever to play this game, like, 
no, 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 here's the rule book, and even citing the rule, saying this is what is not a hold, and people are like, no, it's holding. And I'm just there like, and this is people that are like betting on the game, that's obviously why it's an issue. Um, that's obviously more and more common now. People that's worked for big networks, like you said, um, yeah, and people that have got agendas against either just certain teams, certain games, certain people, but uh, I just find it funny that when then when the other people come out that are experts, everyone's like, nah, it was holding, and then Mitchell Schwartz is like, okay, it's holding, don't worry about my 10 Pro Bowls, I'll just go away. Yeah, no, it is a bizarre world that we uh, seemingly live in there where we don't listen to experts, isn't it? So, yeah, it's a very, very, very peculiar one. But uh, like I said, I didn't want to overshadow the accomplishments of the two teams that ultimately are in the Super Bowl because I think, like I said, they deservedly, not just over the course of 60 minutes yesterday, but over the course of, you know, 17 regular season weeks and the three weeks of the playoffs have, have rightfully earned their place in Arizona in a couple of weeks' time. We'll do a full preview next week, boys. I dare say you'll probably both be part of it, um, as obviously being our resident fans. Uh, so we're not going to preview it in depth, but um, get thinking, because obviously I know what your hearts are going to be predicting, but I'm also going to want your uh, your head's opinion as well as your hearts, because uh, it's going to be a really interesting game to break down in a week's time. Um before we wrap up, fellas, just going to mention the couple of sort of coaching hires and the and the sort of merry-go-round that will sort of certainly pick up additional steam now. Um, Frank Reich in as the head coach at Carolina. Um, fully expect that probably by the time most people listen to this podcast that D'Amico Ryan's, it appears it's trending towards him going to the Houston Texans, obviously now with the Niners out of the uh, the postseason action. Um, Kellen Moore um, seems like a bit of a scapegoat, doesn't he, for, yeah. for the situation in Dallas. But yeah, Kellen Moore, who seemingly was the... Uh, the future and the poster boy a couple of years ago being moved on. Uh, they're retaining Mike McCarthy, but moving on from a young, bright mind in Callum Moore. Well, he's gone to the Chargers. Really interested to see what he can do as the OC with Justin Herbert. We've talked many a time, me and Steve in particular, about the fact it felt as though Herbert had the handbrake on for whatever reason this year. So let's see if Callum Moore can unlock something. Um, so things starting to take shape further, Steve, just out of the, the, the sort of moving and shaking that's happened so far. What's caught your eye? I mean, I really like the Frank Reich hire. He's a Carolina native as well. I think wasn't he their first quarterback in the NFL? I think like so. There's a bit of a, a bit of a sort of fairy tale story there. I think I always thought he was a good coach. I think the Colts uh, with Jim Israel are a bit of a bit of a sort of strange organization at the moment. I, I did a read the other day that he still thinks that um, Jeff Saturday is the leading candidate for the job. Which is just if they hire Jeff Saturday, that is <laughs> mental. Um, so I think that's a good hire. Um, I think there's some still some interviews to be shaken out. You know, it remains to be seen if uh, if either of the Eagles coordinators go, because I know they've both been tipped for a few different jobs, Steichen and Gannon. Um, the Cardinals apparently are interviewing um, Anna Rumo, the uh, Bengals DC, um, which is surprising because I don't think anyone had, had interviewed him up until a couple of weeks ago. I don't think he was getting traction, despite the fact he's been one of the best DCs, certainly this season. Um, you know, so yeah, there's. I think that I, it wouldn't surprise me if Ryan's ends up in, in Texas, um, I think he's probably a shoe in for that job, um, but be interesting to see where where some of the others end up, um, and and uh, certainly the Colts if they end up going with Jeff Saturday, I don't think I'll ever stop laughing. To be honest, <laughs> <laughs> it was, yeah, that that will certainly take the biscuit as the bonkers. One well, more other one I should have mentioned, and I I kind of forgot it, Leah, because I'm trying to forget it because apparently it might not actually be confirmed. We were all told yesterday Vic Fangio was going to be the DC at Miami, <laughs> but apparently Vic Fangio himself sort of said, "Hang on a minute, that might not be 100% accurate." Um, so that's the other bit of news on that front. But just get your take, mate, on the uh, the moving around as we've seen so far. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Frank Wright. Gets a lot of stick, obviously for being the voice behind that Carson Wentz trade, basically kind of being the one to say, let, let, we need to do this. And I think apart from that, all the other Colts decisions are done by the GM, who I, I can't believe still still obviously has a job. So um, yeah, I think he's a great, great coach. I think this probably means they're going to pick a young QB in the draft. I think that might put an end to the Brady getting huge amounts of money from that billionaire owner, just because he's the perfect guy to develop a, a young QB. So I like that hire. Um, Kellen Moore's definitely an upgrade. Their OC for the Chargers uh, was terrible last season. Um, obviously, as a rival fan, I was quite happy to see him be the OC for another year, but unfortunately, he got fired. So yeah, I think that's a good hire. Um, but that kind of mean leads to the funniest two stories for me, which was A, the fact that Mike McCarthy is now going to call plays for Dallas, which allegedly, <laughs> which um, 
Yeah, as someone who has to watch someone he likes and Dak Prescott have the most complicated offense where he has to stand there for the whole 20 seconds and read the whole defense out every play, that's only going to get worse now. So, yeah, I thought that was quite funny. And then again, like you said, Vic Fangio, apparently he's friends with Frank Reich. That might be the other team that are interested in him. Um, and I think whoever gets him has probably got the best DC on the market because we don't know that Luan Rumo is not going to go unless it's a, a head coach job, obviously. So, yeah, there's some interesting ones there. And um, the Ravens also interviewing... Eric Bieniemy from the Chiefs this week, um, which I think is a pretty good one. And then uh, Mike Kafka as well from the Giants OC has got loads of interviews lined up this week. So I think there's some interesting hires that, that could happen. But um, yeah, we'll see. I've been just to see if Fangio does go to Miami because that will make them a lot stronger for next season. Yeah, definitely. And like you say, Steve, I think those Eagles coordinators, um, obviously I think a few teams were hoping that uh, they could get a... a uh, a bit of a leg up in the hiring process and the Eagles going out this week, but they're going to have to wait at least another fortnight, aren't they? Um, obviously, this week is the Pro Bowl, the reimagined Pro Bowl flag football and lots of different skills. Obviously, the league trying to do something a bit different. I suppose it's added a little bit of intrigue, if nothing else. That's on Thursday and Sunday. Um, I assume I'm right in saying that both of those will be on the Sky Sports NFL channel, although I haven't seen the, uh, the schedule, but I'm certainly guessing that they will be certainly the Sunday normally is, and I would guess the Thursday they'll broadcast live as well. So enjoy that. Anybody that is tuning in to watch it, like I say, we'll be back next week with a proper preview of the Super Bowl. Uh, let these boys enjoy their week, basking in glory of their respective sides, getting into the big dance, and then we'll start to break it down in a bit more depth um, as we get uh, set for the biggest game of the season. Always that bittersweet one, isn't it? The biggest game, but also the signal that it's another long <laughs> seven months without any football. But uh, never mind. It's been a pleasure getting there, hasn't it? Well, thanks to Steve and to Liam for joining me this evening. This has been the Full 10 Yards NFL podcast, and we'll catch you all next week. <laughs>